Welcome to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. It's the show geared toward keeping you up to speed with the latest auto news, event coverage, and expert industry insight. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Avery and John Craman. Hey, thanks for joining us in this episode. John and I have an interview with Brian Loans, who is the commentator for the TV coverage of the NHRA. So lots to get into with him. Before we do, we've got a lot of Mecham news to get to, uh, including uh, the next couple auctions that are going to be coming up here very shortly. There's three right on the horizon, starting with the Gone Farming's Spring Classic taking place March 24th through the 26th with TV coverage on the RFD TV network. And then right after it, the Meekum team is off to Houston, March 31st through April 2nd. And right after that, head out to Indy for Dana Meekum's 35th original spring classic, May 13th through the 21st. Both Houston and Indy will have TV coverage on Motor Trend. Now, John, uh, before we get too carried away, let's talk about Meekum's uh, recent Glendale auction. Lots going on there. So let me just kind of start things off by asking for your first impressions. What did you make of Glendale 2022? Overwhelming. Okay. Massive success. We knew coming into the auction, Matt, an additional day was added for four days, and the lineup essentially was was filled up, so we had a lot of anticipation coming in. But I don't think any of us were quite prepared for exactly how it all unfolded, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> well, John, let's dive into the top 10 sellers, starting with looking at the highest seller, the number one spot. That belongs to a 1967 Ferrari 275 GTB4. It sold for $3.02 million, and this type of a sale, John, really, um, it sets a tone, not, not just for this auction, but really future auctions to come. Yeah, well said, Matt. You know, this auction now in year four has, with the sale of that car and others, and the total results we'll talk about here in just a moment, but that car really sets the stage for the transition of this auction. This auction has really grown up. I'm going to take it out of, this is my opinion, out of the large regional uh, auction category and put it into the national level. The, the scope and the depth of the inventory and the prices across the board reset the bar for this auction. Absolutely. Moving on to the other high sellers in the number two spot, that was a 1929 Duesenberg Model J Murphy convertible coupe. That sold for $2.36 million. And then the third, fourth, and fifth spots all belong to late model exotics and supercars. In third was a 2005 Porsche Carrera GT. That sold for $2.2 million. In uh, the fourth high seller of the auction was a 2024 GT, selling for $1.1 million. And the fifth spot belongs to a 2017 Lamborghini Aventador LP704 Roadster, selling for $698,500. And then the uh, sixth spot on the top 10 list belongs to uh, classic American muscle. We've got a 1969 Ford Mustang Mach 1 Fastback, selling for $440,000. And John, this is um, another vehicle that really is kind of an indication of things to come. Absolutely. This was really the shocker of the auction, over 1500 entries, Matt, and it was this car, this exact car that absolutely floored me. Now, when we think of a 1969 Mach 1, they're pretty popular and very, very cool, and the prices have gone up on those. But the magic sauce on this car is the history of the car and the 427 cubic inch cam, overhead cam engine, single uh, overhead cam known as the camera, never a production 
engine installed in a car was a production engine, but they never put it into a car. It was a very popular engine in drag racing in the mid-1960s, and the marriage of that engine and this great Mach 1, just that hammer price is just utterly astounding. Once again, confirming what I mentioned earlier about just how big and significant and important this auction has become. Right. Well, let's keep moving through the high sellers. In seventh, a 1934 Packard 11712 Coupe Roadster. That sold for $440,000. In eighth, a 2006 Ford GT, selling for $412,500. In ninth, a 1995 Rolls-Royce Corniche S Convertible selling for $412,500. And then rounding out the list, in 10th, a 1996 Lamborghini Diablo VT Roadster. That sold for $332,750. So the key thing, John, not only with the high sellers, but also the entire... Uh, list of vehicles that cross the block. I think the key takeaway is lots and lots of diversity. Well said. So let's break down the numbers so everybody can really understand just how important and massive this auction was. Total sales, $66.2 million. Now that compares to last year's record of $43 million four hundred thousand dollars. That's a fifty-three percent increase over last year's record. Sell rate seventy-eight percent, one thousand two hundred and eighty-five vehicles sold out of one thousand six hundred and fifty-seven entered. Has it grown up? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, before we move on from Glendale, John, let's talk about a couple other standouts of vehicles that cross the block, starting with one of the vehicles that you were really dialed into during our On the Move Glendale preview a couple weeks ago before the auction. Right. You were going to be paying close attention to a 1979 Pontiac Trans Am. It was a stellar vehicle, one owner car, and it did sell. It sold for $159,500. Yeah, the pre-auction estimates uh, thought that that car, Matt, would come in in the one hundred fifty dollars to $200,000 range, so it's right in that sweet spot but here's what's happened with that car i'm gonna stick my neck out and say i don't have any data to back this up but i think that that may have set an all-time record for what's referred to as a bandit uh trans am without either the movie or a burt reynolds direct connection that could very well be a world record price and i think very well bought you know moving forward pop culture and this car being maybe the best example on the planet I think that that probably is going to end up uh, as a really good investment, even though it sounds like a lot of money for the new buyer going down the road. Right. Now, another vehicle that you and I were paying close attention to was a 2022 GMC Hummer EV. This was an edition one with uh, just several hundred miles on the odometer, and it sold for $286,000, well over sticker. But this is uh, one of the hottest vehicles that's going to be arriving in showrooms very shortly. It's a lot of energy, a lot of buzz behind it, and consistently... What we're seeing, John, is that for a lot of potential customers or owners, for some of these new vehicles that are the the latest thing out there, sometimes you're not going to be able to find them in a showroom, but rather the best place to encounter them is actually on the Meekum Red carpet. Well, you know, you 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 touched on it, Matt, when you said that it is it is really a Meekum tradition that the launch versions, some of the first vehicles of high demand such as the hummer ev very much like the broncos which still are and the c8 corvette and many others over the years to get this astonishing of a number that sale price is about two and a half times the window sticker and yeah i get it i understand it. it's a neat truck it's in high demand but it just absolutely floored and it shocked me and it just puts further fuel in the fire that not only is the collector car market really strong right now although this 
arguably isn't a collector car, but maybe it is because it's yeah, the edition be. one version. Right. Right. But that just the strength, the overall strength and the energy that we saw at the Glendale auction was unpre- un- unprecedented for that event. Yeah. And of course, if listeners want to find out more about the all of the results, be sure you can find those at Meekum.com. John, let's turn our attention to okay. other events that are coming up on our radar. And looking way out uh, in November, you and I love to be at the Muscle Car in Corvette Nationals. The number one um, complaint that we, you and I hear has <laughs> nothing to do with the show. It has to do with the fact that it's not enough. People want more, and uh, this summer they're going to get a little bit of a taste of that. Uh, McCacken and the managing member Bob Ashen has announced that there's a new event taking place June 25th at the Gilmore Car Museum in Hickory Corners, Michigan. It is the McCacken Muscle Car Meetup. Now, before people get uh, carried away, this is not a replacement for the flagship fall event, but it is going to feature, uh, I'm reading here from the press release, it promises to be a fun and casual casual midsummer meetup and driving event for muscle and high performance car owners uh nowhere near the level of rigorous judging that will be at the fall show but there will be a lot going on including a live rock band curated back roads uh and a live remote radio broadcast so if you can't wait till november make plans to be in michigan for this event sounds like a lot of fun you know bob ashton always puts together a good time and i think that's just a real nice appetizer for the big mccacken event which of course always occurs uh mid-november uh at the stevens convention center uh just a little bit east of chicago o'hare field i call it the pebble beach of muscle cars it's my favorite single number one car show event of the year and uh we're both you and i have been talking about maybe trying to make it over to that event over in michigan coming up this summer right All right. Other things on our radar this week, John, includes some dialogue from Ford, and it's about how they're going to be positioning their lineup moving forward, including one of the names is hearkening back to really where they got started. (laughs) Fill us in. What's this Model E division that's coming? Yeah, we're just learning about it, Matt, but it's huge news. In fact, it's groundbreaking in the automotive world, automotive history. Jim Farley, the uh, uh, CEO of Ford, a big car guy, by the way, is taking the EVs and the ICE engines, internal combustion engines, and actually separating those two out into two different divisions, not two different companies, two different divisions. And the historical tie-in with the EV division is the name. (laughs) It is called simply Ford Model E. And that harkens back to the Ford Model T and the Ford Model A. So they're tapping into their heritage there. Just as interesting, the ICE division is now will be referred to as officially as Ford Blue. And Ford has decided to invest around $50 billion on this project with the target and the goal of Ford production of being half EVs by 2033. And now when I say that, I think that that's important. And that's an interesting point because unlike some of the other manufacturers stating that they're going all EV by a certain date, I'm going to say it again. Ford Motor Company has said that they will be half EVs by 2030. I want to read a quote from Jim Farley. This is just from a couple days ago as follows. We still think that more than half our customers are going to be ICE and they're going to be ICE for a long time. It's almost like our industry's kind of given up on that business. Even if the unit volume starts to fall over when mass adoption of electric electrification happens, in a lot of segments, that's not going to happen. And we want to have a dedicated team to run that business with passion. I kind of think that says it all about Ford Motor Company's 
thoughts about moving forward that ice is going to remain relevant and available for many, many years. Great news for me. Well, let's turn our attention to the next automotive auction that Mecham has that's coming up right around the corner. That is the return to Houston. John, uh, break down some of the important details, including the plan for TV coverage. Yeah, of course, uh, the auction is going to be three days, March 31st through April 2nd at the Energy Center in Houston. We kick off television coverage on Motor Trend at 12 noon on Friday. That's April Fool's Day, and we have uh, coverage also on the following day on on. Uh, Saturday, a thousand entries, three big collections. One in particular, Matt, is my feature. That's a Triple J Ranch collection, all selling at no reserve. Now, that's over 170 vehicles. That's the largest ever single vehicle consignment at a Mecham auction. And there's one particular car, my personal star of that collection, that's my favorite, I'm going to be paying the most attention to. And it is a real, honest to goodness, 1969 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am with the Ram Air 3 engine, which was the standard engine. You could get a Ram Air 4 as an option. Only 697 of those were built. It really represents pony cars, muscle cars, and uh, I'm going to be paying attention to that one. Now, how about you? What have you got to look forward to seeing what happens at the upcoming Houston auction. Well, the thing that jumped out to me was the overwhelming presence of movie and pop culture and and just cars from cinema that are going to be at the auction. So a lot of those are coming from the Triple J Ranch auto collection that you mentioned. There's there's tons in there, but I was surprised that that's not it by by any by any stretch. Another vehicle that really jumped out is a officially licensed Eleanor Tribute Edition Mustang. So this is a this is a uh, 1968 fastback that is officially licensed as a tribute to the um, Eleanor Mustang driven by Nicolas Cage in the Gone in 60 Seconds film. So cool piece there, but even one more that jumped out was a 2022 Land Rover Defender V8 Bond Edition. So this is one of 300 that was created uh, by the brand's SV Bespoke Division to celebrate the vehicle's role in the the 25th uh, James Bond film that came out last year, No Time to Die. So it's kind of a neat piece. It's got a couple custom touches on it that call out that uh, Bond edition. So it's kind of one of those things of, you know, the Defender is one of those hot vehicles that uh, people are talking about that people have to have. And it's kind of one of those things of, if you're going to get that one, might as well get one with a cool connection to a James Bond movie. Don't adjust that dial. On the Move, we'll be right back. Our program is proudly presented by Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auctions. Now back to Matt and John. All right, Matt, I am so excited about having this guy on the show. Highly anticipated. I'm such a huge fan. We have got Brian Loans, and he is a busy dude, probably best known uh, as the lead play-by-play broadcaster for NHRA Drag Racing, but he also does a great podcast, NHRA Insider. He's the guy behind Bankshift.com, a very popular online uh, automotive magazine. Brian, man, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show with Matt and I today. Thanks, buddy. Well, listen, I'm, I'm glad you lowered your standards far enough to get me in here. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. Oh, a smart aleck, too. Love it. Hey, Brian, take us back <laughs> to the beginning. Your interest in cars and how you took that interest in cars and you moved that up into your world as a television personality. Sure. Um, so I you know, grew up with a dad who uh, loved hot rods. He was a grand racer in the 70s uh, when I came along in the early 80s. Uh, he stepped away from active participation in drag racing, but uh, restored some Pontiacs back in the day. So uh, I grew up in the trunk of a 64 GTO shoveling out the sandblasting sand and, and as a really little kid and grew up 
uh, riding around that thing. We used to take it to the Pontiac Nationals every year. We used to uh, we take it to this place in Natick, Massachusetts called Nick's. Every Saturday night, it was a, a great cruise spot. It actually got featured in Starcraft one year. And, you know, it was from that, um, from the car shows, from going to the drag strip, just hanging out and him kind of being with his buddies and, and me being with him. Um, that's really what cemented my, my love for cars um, and trucks and tractors and really everything else that makes noise. And for me, um, I always just wanted to write for car magazines. That's really what I oh, wanted to do. Yeah. I went, went to school, got a journalism degree, and, you know, thankfully I was able to do that. I, I freelanced for a lot of magazines for, for a bunch of different years. And, um, you know, we grew up watching NHRA drag racing every every week back in the old Diamond D days on the Nashville Network. Yeah. And, you know, for me, the, the announcing thing almost happened by accident. It, it started for me in college. Um, we had a motorsports club, UMass Motorsports Club, and went to the University of Massachusetts. And we used to road race a, a Volkswagen Rabbit uh, in a category called Improved Touring C in SCCA Racing. And my buddies, they were soliciting for an announcer. My buddies, probably to get me away from the car on the wrenches, told me to go try it out. And my first announcing gigs were, were with the FCPA, announcing New England region races at uh, New Hampshire International Speedway, at Lime Rock, um, at various racetracks up in, in my part of the country. That got me the confidence to contact a guy named Glenn Grow, who ran a, runs or ran a drag strip in New York called Lebanon Valley. And uh, I started announcing on Saturdays at Lebanon Valley Dragway, which is really my, my heart and soul has always been in drag racing. And that led me to then when I went home for the summer, uh, I was racing with my dad at Epping, and then I would start announcing when we got eliminated, which was usually first round because I was driving. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, and that, and really, it's been this kind of daisy chain of stuff. I mean, from from working at New England Dragway on Fest and two nights, and then Saturdays and and Sundays, um, the IHRA used to come through there, and and the track manager at the time got me an audience with them, and uh, I was able to kind of start going out on tour with them in the early two thousands, and. Uh, really was still working regular jobs. I mean, I managed uh, truck leaks all the way up until really 2011. Um, you know, along the way, bank shift started in, in 08, and that grew. And that's really what allowed me to get away from, you know, traditional work. Um, and then I, I really went full bore into announcing anything I could do from that point forward. And started with NHRA in 2014 and, and luckily was able to fall my way up the hill to, to the point I'm at now. So interesting to hear that uh, it's not all about drag racing where you got your uh, start in road racing. As far as cars that you like, cars that are typically on your radar screen, what's some of the stuff that you like and that you admire and maybe even aspire to own? You know, I, I love Pontiac uh, just because my, my childhood, uh, my dad's CTO was a, a, a 389 single four barrel four speed car, had a real wood wheel in it. You know, it's a really nice, really nice car. And again, he still owns that thing. Um, you know, I think my most aspirational muscle car is a is an L seventy two four twenty seven this game. Um, I think those were just the coolest things. I love big cars, and and of course the sleeper elements of those things just to right. me is the most fantastic part. Um, I love old trucks. I mean, I've owned I've owned a bunch of medium duty trucks over the years. I had a, a sixty six C fifty that I converted into a pickup truck um, with a kind of phantom dually. You know, I had fleet side bed sides on it, but it was a dually rear axle in the back of it. Uh, I had a 68 C50 wrecker, twin boom wrecker that I bought <laughs> and drove, drove 500 miles back to my house. I bought it in, in Western Pennsylvania and drove the thing with a T92 four speed and, and 617 rear axle oh all the way my. back to my house. Um, I had 87 Chevy Caprice. That was a project car on Bankship for years called Buford, Buford T justice. It was an ex uh, Pennsylvania <laughs> detective car. And by the time I got rid of that, um, it had a, a 500 horse small block in it with a, a full Hotchkiss uh, suspension on it. I auto cropped it and drag raced it. And, uh, 
my current project is a 1948 uh, Ford 8N tractor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hey, Brian, for listeners that are unaware, how would you describe the type of content that you guys are posting regularly on Bang Shift? Is it car news or is it more gearhead focused? It, it really is everything from like steam engines to top fuel dragsters. I mean, we it, it is a very wide net that we cast, and that's really been something um, that's been that way since the beginning. My, my, my son, who's 15, writes for us now, and he is fully obsessed with um, you know, with new car releases, he's fully obsessed with the modern kind of hypercar stuff. So that really is his wheelhouse. My wheelhouse tends to be a lot of historical content, uh, tech content, stuff like that. Chad Reynolds, who's my partner on the site, is heavy into metal fabrication and tech. It, it I, I can tell you, it, it, it is a very wide range that we throw. Any day you look on the thing, you'll see everything from engine builds and dyno testing to hypercar news to maybe me finding a you know, a 1912 video of some guys servicing a steam engine in England or something like that. So, Brian, we are well in our way into the new NHR season of uh, 2022. How is it going so far from your perspective as really sort of the guy in the announcer hot seat? And what do you see as maybe some trends that are developing for this new year? You know, for me, it's incredibly exciting. We had this off season that was just unbelievable. You know, we had a lot of racers kind of splinter off and start their own operations. Of course, we've had, uh, you know, NASCAR great Tony Stewart come into the sport in a huge way with his team. And he's obviously married to Leah Pruitt. He right. brought on Matt right. Hagen and the funny car operation there. And, you know, to me, the trend is, is ours. Um, this will be the first time since I'm going to say 2015 or 2014 that we have begun the season, the first four races with full fields in every professional category. And it's almost like people say, oh, that's sad when you say that. And it really isn't sad. It really points to a direction of the sport corrected itself budget-wise. It is the more, and again, the budgets are insane, but it went from being something that was wholly unattainable for anybody to race a fuel car or a pro-stock car to something that, if you have the guile to raise your own sponsorship, you can do it. If you have the means that you operate a successful business, you can come out and do it. And this idea that you needed to own your own, you know, machining operation and you had to have a, a you know, a machine shop staff and a chassis building staff and everything has kind of got out the window. You know, the sport to me, the trend is the sport correcting itself and going more back to an industry than to a self-contained series of small businesses, you know, meaning, uh, you know, Richie Crampton, top fuel racer, has a chassis shop in, in, in Indiana, Indiana now, and people are going to him to build their top fuel oh, cars yeah. as opposed to having to hire your own fabricators and build them in-house. People are buying cylinder heads off the shelf, and they're winning top fuel races. I mean, it um, it's a really neat thing to see, and for me, it's like, it, it's a satisfying thing to see. I mean, top fuel this year has been, it, it, we built it up in the off-season that it was going to be something special, and... You know, we've had three races. Uh, we've had three different winners, none of which have been Steve Torrance. Uh, performance <laughs> right. has been off the charts, and, and it's been it's great. I think the trend I see is the best trend drag racing can have, which is unpredictability. Hey, sounds good. I'd like you to do a shout-out to uh, the other members of your announced team. Um, oh, sure. Fill us in on who you've got working for you this year and how that's going on so far. So Tony Pedregon is my right-hand man in the booth, um, and he is – um, you know, over the course of our relationship, he's not only a guy I work with, he's become one of my best friends. We cool. talk just constantly. We have a great relationship. As you guys well know, you know, when, you, when you're making a production, um, you need to have that element of, of trust and, and comfortability with the people you work with, and um, it's so important. So Tony's in the booth with me. 
Uh, we have Bruno Massel, who everybody knows Bruno He's from great. Talk to You and Garage Squad. And, you know, Bruno's one of our pit reporters and uh, typically the starting line reporter, multi-time world champion, comp eliminator. The yep. guy, you know, knows and loves the sport. Uh, Amanda Busick and Jamie Howe are our typical pit reporters. We have John Kernan. Of course, Kernan's, uh, you know, very decorated guy. He's been in the industry for a long time. You'll see John out there reporting and, and creating content for us as well. So it is, um, it's a tight knit team. And, and, and again, as you guys well know, everybody that watches the show sees these four or five people, but there are like 50 or 60 people that people do not see <laughs> right. who are the actual brains of the operation, right? These are the people that make us appear competent because of how good they are <laughs> doing what they do. So, um, it's fascinating. I had no idea before getting into this role, and, and I worked on some, some shows and done some stuff with Motor Trend and everything over the years, but the size of this production is beyond anything um, that I would have expected. You know, this is a this is a 60 to 70 person a week deal between camera guys and production people and the tape room and the graphics people and the person feeding the show to the satellite. I mean, it is an amazing operation. Um, technology is progressing so fast, Brian, from a uh, automotive standpoint with performance and efficiency and all kinds of stuff. When you look out, not only to this season, but even in seasons to come, where do you see the future of drag racing going? Uh, any new developments on the horizon that we can be watching for? Yeah, so I think what's really interesting is if you look at this sport, you know, if you, if you concentrate your eyeballs just on the NHRA, you're missing a lot of stuff. And so technologically on the NHRA side, I think the most exciting thing we have going on in the immediate future is this uh, factory experimental category, which was introduced uh, very late in 2021. And there are about 16 to 18 cars that I know of getting close to finish here to start showing up at racetracks around the country. And this takes this, the factory stock showdown concept, which is Popo Camaros versus Drag Pack Challengers versus Cobra Jet Mustangs, and brings it to the next level. So those cars are basically restricted to go only as quick as seven and a half seconds because of the chassis they use in the rules package they use. This factory experimental class takes that to the next level where you can build a more chassis style race car. You can cut more of the factory floor out of it. You can cut more of the factory guts out of the body. You have to maintain a factory dimensional body. You can use composite panels and stuff like that. But you're going to take this, this factory showdown engine, which makes about 1,500 horsepower, whether you're talking a Coyote or a Gen 3 Hemi, or you're talking the, the LT package that GM uses. And instead of that car weighing 3,500 pounds, that car is going to weigh like 2,700 pounds. And that car is going to have mandatory a clutch and a manual transmission in it, a five-speed. And so and you're going to run it. And you're going to run a 10 and a half inch wide tire instead of a very small nine inch wide stock eliminator style tire. So it is going to have the appearance of a factory stock showdown car on a big tire. And yet these things, the math says these should go, these cars should go probably six nineties at over 200 right out of the box. And technologically, these cars will have uh, obviously the full kind of advanced uh, fuel injection and engine management systems that, that are involved in really um, every streetcar you see going down the road off the, off the lot now. And so there's a lot, and then on the chassis side, of course, there's a lot of technology involved there as far as tuning. Um, it's going to be great to watch that. Outside of the NHRA, you look at drag radio style racing, which is, you know, kind of an up and down proposition with car count. But drag radial cars, especially in the Pro 275 and radial versus world category, are the most advanced cars in the sport because the rules are wide open. These guys run traction control. They run wheelie control. They run 
sensors and data acquisition that nobody else in the sport does because it's allowed. The result of that, you have cars on a 315-wide rear tire in the eighth mile running 220-plus miles an hour. Wow. It is unbelievable. And these are, you know, for the most part, stock wheelbase style cars. I mean, it is, it is unreal. So, you know, to answer your question in a, in a more direct way, I think we're going to see more of that side of drag racing trickle its way into NHRA. I think we're going to see more of that available technology uh, allowed in some categories. And I think it's a very necessary thing. And, of course, there's the EV question. Uh, NHRA has uh, definitely gotten on top of the EV program. Um, we have Steve Huff, who's been coming out making exhibition runs in his dragster, uh, the first one to ever go 200 in, in the quarter mile in a, in a you know, four-wheeled vehicle. Um, and he's been out making hits as well. There's an EV class that's been introduced to the Summit Racing Series for sportsman competition, and there will be an EV national champion crowd this year when we get to our Las Vegas race in the fall. So, um, to me, those are the big technological headlines for, you know, for traditional drag racing. Cool. Well, it sounds like things are really moving along well. Some uh, exciting new developments as well as, of course, the traditional pro classes still going strong. Uh, as we wind things up, first of all, man, thank you so much for coming on, taking some time. We love having you as our official drag racing expert. For you those bet. that are listening that want to keep in touch with you, learn more about you and NHRA, uh, NHRA drag racing, what are some of the social media platforms that folks can find and keep in touch with you on? All right, grab a pen. No. Got it. <laughs> so, so you can uh, you can you can read bankshift.com every day. That's that's an up, uh, website that's obviously as we talked about kind of updated with all kinds of stuff uh, on a daily basis. You can follow me on Twitter at the loans l o h n e s. You can follow me on Instagram, and my Instagram is, is different than um, probably most other people that you follow. If you're on Instagram, and it is just simply my name, Brian Loan, uh, because it really is never about me. Every day I post on a historical subject, whether it is Yesterday, I posted about Ab Jenkins uh, driving a tractor at 68 miles an hour back in 1935 at the Bonneville Salt Flats. I do a lot of drag racing history there, road racing history. Um, you know, notable people like Vic Elford, the great road racer, passed away. I did kind of an obit to him the other day. So, if you're into automotive history of any stripe, uh, follow me on uh, follow me on um, Instagram and. The NHRA Insider Podcast, John, you mentioned, is a weekly show I do uh, with our NHRA drivers, kind of been following the topics of the day. And then I have another podcast called the Dorkomotive Podcast. And this is a, a passion <laughs> project of mine. Um, these are these are deep dive historical shows. And so, for instance, there's an episode, um, I've made about 50 episodes of this particular podcast so far. And they take some time to craft, but um, there's an episode on Art Arfons that is about three hours long. And it details really his whole career. And I have people like Humpy Wheeler on there. I have people, yeah. um, I have his son on there. I have other guys that race against him. Um, I've done episodes on a guy named um, Broadway Freddie Denane, who was a funny car racer in the 1970s, who just so happened to be part of Roy DeMeo's crew uh, that killed about 150 people over the course of uh, their time as mobsters in, in New York City. So there's a there's the Dorkamoto podcast if you're into weird esoteric history like maybe the history of stage locomotive crashes i did an episode on that uh, check that out as well well on behalf of both matt and myself man once again thank you so much you know your combination of your knowledge and your passion and your enthusiasm is something that i enjoy uh as a fan and we hope to maybe get you on a podcast in the future and best wishes for the for the new year my friend Thank you very much. And I must say this, the, my, my most major regret at the moment is that I cannot get out to the East Molina auction that you guys have coming up because it is full <laughs> of auction, vintage, yeah. 
the vintage tractors. I'm, there's a Sterling. There's a 1944 Sterling flatbed truck that I may sell a family member to get a hold of. But uh, again, you guys do incredible work. I, it's a pleasure to watch you guys do what you do, and I'm certainly glad to have you as fans of, of what we do in drag racing. You've been listening to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. For more information, visit Meekum.com. And join us again next time as we take you inside the world of muscle and collector cars and more.